Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. When you look at the beauty of creation, what do you think about? There are many things for sure, but God wants you and I to notice Him. He wants us to see how the wonders of creation reveals God to us. In Psalm 8, we come across David looking up at the stars in awe of the great Creator God who know Him intimately. This psalm is a song of celebration, awe, and wonder as David contemplates God. This psalm is a psalm of light in the midst of other darker psalms, and our hope is it will be a beacon of light and hope for you today. Let's join in part one of his message, The Majesty of Our Lord. Many years ago, when I was a very young man, I took numerous trips across the United States. And, you know, I tried to go a different way each time, and each different route or each different place you know, really captured my heart in different ways. One thing that I could never really get over, and you see it in certain places, but really in places like Wyoming, is when you are out on a very dark night and a clear night and you look up in the sky at the stars. It is absolutely breathtaking. I remember one time we camped out by Devil's Tower in Wyoming and Wow, it was just there was it was just amazing. Being from New York and New Jersey my whole life, it was almost like it was a different sky. In some ways, if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, I've been there a few times, it was almost like the Grand Canyon. It was almost scary. There's so many stars in the sky. But, you know, it's easy to take that stuff for granted. I grew up near the water, uh, you know, salt water guy and and it's easy to kind of get used to the beach and, and, the, and the beauty of that. And it's really a shame when that happens, that we fail to really, on a regular basis, appreciate the beauty of this world. Yet creation was to, there's many things about it, but it was given to us by God to be enjoyed by us. But it's also meant to reveal our creator to us. Now, Psalm 8 is an interesting psalm in its placement. It's strategically placed in the middle of 10 lamenting psalms. You're like, what's a lamenting psalm? A lamenting psalm is a psalm of sorrow, of grief, or mourning. So you have five, then you have Psalm 8, and then you have another five. And perhaps that's because in the middle of despair, there is something that God wants us to remember. What would that be? Verse one, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent, some versions say majestic, is your name in all the earth who have set your glory above the heavens. And then let's jump down to the very last verse of Psalm 8, verse nine. O Lord, O Lord, how excellent, how majestic, I like the word majestic better, we'll talk about that in a little bit, is your name in all the earth. Now you say, he kind of said the same thing. Yeah, he did. Why? Because in the middle of lamenting, in the middle of sorrow and grief and mourning, he gives us a psalm. The psalmist gives us a psalm about God. God gives us a psalm in the midst of our pain, something to know about himself. 
And so the title of our message today is a simple one. It's the majesty of our Lord. The majesty of our Lord. The psalm heading goes like this, to the chief musician, so we know it's a song, it can be sung, on the instrument of gaff, I don't know how many of you out there play the gaff, but that's what it is, a psalm of David. So David wants us to delight in the excellency, in the majesty, in the splendor of God to the point in time, not so we think, yeah, we should worship him, but we must worship him. There's really no other choice. So now coming out of Psalm 3 through 7, uh, Psalms of darkness, now the sun rises. And I think that's an important thing for us to remember in the darkness of night sometimes, the darkness of our lives. The sun always rises. It always does. About a thousand years before Jesus was born, David grew up uh, as a shepherd boy. And no doubt when he was out in the fields at night with the flocks, he would just lay down on the ground and he would look up and there wasn't all those lights like we have now make it very hard to see the stars and on a comparative basis. And he would look up and he would just gaze upon the stars and probably reflecting upon the Lord. Now, he was there to guard the flock. That might explain why Psalms 3 to 7, the lamenting Psalms, are individualistic. But here, the people of God themselves are addressed. We are addressed as a congregation. God's flock is being addressed by the great shepherd of Israel, the Lord God himself. So David, who would become King David, the shepherd of Israel, and that's what they would call the kings, and and we're told that David in the Psalms, we're told that David, you know, he shepherded the people of Israel. He guided them by the skillfulness of his hand and the integrity of his heart. He is going to shepherd our hearts, but he's also going to do what he always does or almost always does, point us to the Lord Jesus Christ, his descendant who would come a thousand years later. Bible scholar Derek Kidner said this about this psalm. He said, this psalm is an unsurpassed example of what a hymn should be, celebrating as it does the glory and grace of God, rehearsing who he is and what he has done, and relating us and our world to him with masterly economy of words and in a spirit of mingled joy and awe. I love that, a spirit of mingled joy and awe. And so David really demonstrates for us what a worship song really should be, a celebration of wonder, a celebration of the grace of God, a celebration of the glory of God. And so David is leading us in joyfully singing of God and his power and his love, what he has done for his people, what he is doing now for his people, what he will do for his people. And so King David invites us to join him in singing a song of joy and a song of awe in God. It's almost like when you read some of these psalms of great joy, it's almost like people like David, instead of bringing God into our problems, it's like, God, come over here, man. You got to check out what's going on. Here's my problem. Don't forget me down here. 
No, it's a little different. It's sort of the opposite. It's almost like he takes his problems into God. And so our problems always look big to us. And then we say, come on, God, look at my big problem. And yet it seems a lot of times like the Bible writers say, well, here's my problem. It seems big. Let me bring it into God. Oh, look, now my problem doesn't seem so big. And that will change his perspective. That will change my perspective. And that will change your perspective. And so the soul-searching challenge is this. Do we... Think about this. Don't feel bad about it. Challenge yourself in this because we want to change. We want to feel guilty. The idea is not to come to church just to feel guilty. Like, oh, felt guilty. Did my job. I feel better now. No, no, no. We want God to speak to us and realize that he wants to change us for the better and for our good and for his glory. So the soul-searching challenge is, do we joyfully and sufficiently praise the Lord or is even Are we even so self-centered that our worship is about us? He begins again, verse one. Oh Lord, that's Yahweh, the covenant name of God. So he's saying, oh Lord, oh our covenant God. Oh Lord, oh Lord. Now it looks like he's repeating himself, but he's not. They're different names of God. Another version to make it easier says, oh Lord, oh Lord, our sovereign God. How excellent or how majestic is your name. Now, name has a lot to do with who he is, but in this instance, it seems to have a lot to do with his presence. How excellent is your name in all the earth who have set your glory above the heavens. So he opens up right out of the box. No no intro or anything like that. Lord, how excellent, how majestic you are, how far above you are above all the kings and queens of the earth who we would meet in person and we would refer to them as your majesty. Lord, you are really the only true royalty. You are the true king in all the earth. All the earth. This word all is gonna be used a lot. There is not one inch of this planet that you are not the Lord, that you are not the majestic king. And so here, David joyfully celebrates the creator king. And sometimes when you get into the presence of God, quite honestly, praise is all you can do. There's really nothing else you can do. You want to speak, you want to have the right words, but the best thing and the only thing you can really do is praise God and thank him for who he is. Now, I do prefer the term majestic over excellent only because I just think the word excellent is kind of played out like, you know, that's excellent, man. Oh, that's that's excellent. Majestic is not a word that we use very often. And the idea is it is a word that means adoration. Oh, you're majestic or, or amazement. This is so important as we've been talking about and on Sundays in Habakkuk in living a life by faith that we understand that the Lord is majestic and excellent and we adore him and we are amazed at him. It is, if you will, when we look up into the stars, when we look at the person of the Lord in his name, that the Lord is on display. And interestingly enough here for David, it does not induce fear. Rather, David is looking up at the sky. He's looking around. He's gazing at the Lord 
and rejoices in the Lord his God. Notice what David says, majestic is your name. There's a gift of God in his name, particularly in his covenant name, the name of Yahweh, that tells us a lot about him. If you know anything about the Bible, if you don't, no problem. If you're, not, if you're new to this, we're glad you're with us, man. This is awesome. But if you know something about the Bible, you could go back to the, the book of Exodus. Great thing, a little confusing towards the end, but really interesting story of what happens with Moses. And Moses meets God in Exodus chapter three, and God's like, hey, I want you to you know, go talk to Pharaoh about me and tell him, you know, let my people go out into the wilderness and worship me. And Moses says to God, okay, no problem. You know, if I gotta go, I gotta go, even though he wants to back down a little later. And he says, um, what should I tell him your name is? Like, he's in a burning bush. You're like, who are you? What, what, what's your name? And God uses his covenant name, which our Bible translations translate it, I am who I am. You gotta think, he's like, that's not very helpful. I am who I am. Now, to some of us, to an American ear, it sounds very different than it did to Moses. To us, when somebody says, well, that's just the way I am, or, or I am who I am, it's sort of like, well, just deal with it. Or very common today, I'm going to be what I got to be, and you got to deal with it. You got to respect it. But for us, it might be better to think of God saying to him, I will be. In other words, he's saying something to Moses like, I am the God who is, and I am the God who continues to be. And that name, even though Moses lived a long time before David, that name Yahweh, the God who was and is and will be, is a name as he gazes at the stars, is a name that causes David to worship. And it actually should cause us to worship as we understand or begin to get our arms around what the terminology actually means. You say, well, how do we get that? Well, for David, I will be is an amazing promise from God. Basically, it means to him, Moses, David, you follower of Jesus, me, the same thing that Jesus said at the very end of Matthew's gospel. I will always be with you. I will be. I always will be. I will always be with you. And as we study the Old Testament and we see this, you know, we see this to be true, that God is always with his people, always with his people, both in blessing and in divine discipline. But there's more to it here than meets the eye. When he says, I will be, this is an invitation this is an invitation to a lifelong, eternal discovery of God. Did you hear that? God is inviting you, God is inviting me tonight to a lifelong and eternal discovery of him. Remember we said it's not just about making, we've said before, it's not just about making a decision to follow Jesus. It's about making disciples, true committed followers of Jesus Christ who want to follow him today, tomorrow, until they breathe their last and look forward to learning more about God all throughout eternity. So again, another soul-searching question, not to make you feel guilty, but when I talk about being invited into a lifelong and eternal discovery of God, does that excite you? Is that like, yes, I want it, I want it, I want it. Or is it like, oh, another thing to do. 
or something in between. But honestly, God wants nothing less than I want it, I'm excited, I'm in, I'm all in. And does it help you to see, as we've been learning in Habakkuk, why enduring and persevering in the faith is so important because it is part of that invitation that God gives us. One more point on I am who I am or I will be. On the one hand, it is a gift, an invitation to come to God. We come to God through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. But it also means something else. When he says, I am who I am, or I will be, it also means we cannot turn God into who we want him to be. Now, you may not like that, but I love that. I love the fact that God is stable. I love the fact that he can't be changed by my emotions, my ups and downs. And I love the fact that he can't be manipulated. I love the fact that, that he is solid, he is the rock, and he, he will be, he is who he is. But, but to David, unlike many others, actually that, that's good news too, because it's bad news to a lot of people, including a lot of church people, because what do they want to do? They want to create God in their own image. Martin Luther said all of the sins that we commit basically all stem from that. We disobey the command that we should not create a God in our own image. And everything, all the bad sin that we do, all the stuff that we do falls out of that because we want God to be a certain way. We want to manipulate him. But to David and true followers of Jesus, we worship with joy our majestic, unchanging God who is always with us, who always speaks to us, and no one controls him. I don't want a God that's weak. I don't want a God that can be controlled by anybody else. I want a God who controls everything. Now, let's go back to the end of verse 1 and to verse 2. It's a bit confusing, and we could spend a long time here, but we really won't. It says, who have set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained, some versions say established, strength because of your enemies that you may silence, that probably means bring them to an end, the enemy and the avenger. That's one of those verses you're like, what, what is he talking about? So I always think when, when things are confusing, don't, you, you know, when we talked about praying through the, through the Psalms, move on. If you're confused, move on. Or you think God's telling you something about babies and, and nursing infants, then stop there and pray for babies and nursing infants. That's fine. But, but when things are confusing or difficult, it's best to keep us, keep it simple. And so the Lord is calling attention to his strength by making a comparison of nursing infant to infants to his enemies. So when at the end of verse one, he says the glory of the Lord above the heavens, when he comes to earth, his enemies will have no chance. And really, Jesus looked like an infant or harmless to so many of God's enemies, but he came in meekness, humility, 
and great power and strength. See, God is so strong that something like an infant or a baby that might seem powerless to us, his own son might seem, again, powerless to his enemies, that it can be used by him to overwhelm the mighty. So what strength does the mouth of babes and nursing infants have? Now, I know you're thinking, I know, I've seen plenty of a big bruising man pick up a little baby and turn into a little kid himself. That's true. But what's he, what do you think he's talking about here? Well, what was David doing in verse 1? He was praising the Lord. I think he's talking about the exact same thing here in verse 2 with these infants and these nursing infants and mouth of babes. I think their strength is connected to praise, praising God. Now, some of you are like, where do you get this stuff? Well, let's fast forward to Jesus' life. In the last week of Jesus' life, he came into Jerusalem. Remember, he rode in on a donkey on Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry. And he goes into the temple, goes to church. And it's sort of like a flea market. So he's flipping over the tables and he's really upset about everything. And as you can imagine, the people there that are making money and the religious leaders were making, skimming a lot of money off the top. They're not too happy about it. And we read in Matthew chapter 21, verse 14 through 16 says this, then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, came to Jesus and he, Jesus healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. <laughs> you're flipping out the tables. You're, now you're healing people. And now everybody's yelling out to you like you're God. They're so indignant. But you want to know something? The next verse, they're going to go beyond indignant, even though we're not told it here. And said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, have you never read? One of my favorite things that Jesus says. I love it when he says to the religious leaders, do you have a Bible? If you don't have one, we'd be happy to give you one. We'll mail you one free of charge or something like that. These guys who spent their entire lives memorizing the Bible, Jesus was constantly calling them out. He was constantly saying, haven't you read? Not meaning haven't you read it, but don't you get it? Don't you get it? See, there's reading the Bible and there's getting the Bible. There's, there's grasping the Bible and having the Bible grasp you. So he says, yes, have you never read? And notice what he quotes. He quotes this verse from Psalm 8. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. Now, some of you right now are going, Pastor Jim, you stole your answer from Jesus. I did. I steal everything from Jesus. I'm perfectly willing to admit it. Now you say, well, why were they so angry about it? Well, they were indignant or angry in verse 15. They would have been absolutely crazed in verse 16 because what did Jesus just do? He just claims praise that is reserved for God and he just told them that the religious leaders themselves were actually God's enemies. And he was going to use something simple, praise, something simple, his own son, to defeat his enemies. The apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 had his famous thorn in the flesh. Something was wrong with him, some sickness. He was praying that God would take it away, prayed three times, and 
chapter 12, verse 9 through 10, it says, And he, it's Jesus, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. This is the risen Christ talking. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Same thing, right? Just like the little babes. Strength made perfect in weakness. Apostle Paul says, Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distress for Christ's sake. Why would he take pleasure in that? Because he realizes this. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Why? Because the power of God is displayed in my weakness. So this is incredible. God routinely builds strength in those who know that they are weak in and of themselves, and that doesn't produce, oh, I'm just such a miserable wretch. I can't believe it. I'm so weak. I'm so useless. Not at all. It produces what? Praise. It produces praise. Take what you've just heard from Pastor Jim Kevney on Changed by Love and share it with a friend or neighbor. Encouraging words are priceless in today's world. Pastor Jim relies on your prayer and support each day to reach thousands of people just like you. You can also find other ways to team with Changed by Love on our website at changedbyloveradio.org or you can call 862-217-9686. We are called by His name to change the world and we are stronger together than we could ever be apart. You and Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Thank you for your support and the time you spend with Changed by Love.